0: Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. When I was a pastor in Indiana, I had the great privilege of preaching through the the book of Romans. Many times I would catch myself saying the gospel of Romans, uh, and it feels like a gospel. Um, I would say it's the best book of the Bible, and John Piper has said it's the greatest letter ever written. I would agree with that. And when we were going through Romans, we had a guy in our church named John Martin who was memorizing the book of Romans as we would go. And so as I introduced chapter one, he came up and recited all of chapter one, and he would do that for every chapter before I would preach. And then after I finished Romans, he came up and recited the whole book, all 16 chapters. And that was awesome. That was our service for the day. It took him about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, So, some of you may be memorizing Titus, and I hope that's going well. That was a great challenge from Gabe. I'm really thankful that a couple weeks ago when Sean Mornin preached, he didn't challenge us to memorize Isaiah. That would be (laughs) another level. But Romans 5, I want to get to verses 6 through 8, but I think for context, it would be great for us to read verses 1 through 8, and so please follow along as I read Paul is writing he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What myriads of eyes are casting their glances at the sun. What multitudes of men lift up their eyes and behold the starry orbs of heaven. They are continually watched by thousands. But there is one great transaction in the world's history, which every day commands far more spectators than the sun which goeth forth like a bridegroom, strong to run his race. There is one great event which every day attracts more admiration than do the sun and moon and stars when they march in their courses. That event is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. To it, the eyes of all the saints who lived before the Christian era were always directed, and backwards through the thousand years of history, the eyes of all modern saints are looking. Upon Christ, the angels in heaven perpetually gaze. Which things the angels desire to look into, said the apostle. Upon Christ, the myriad eyes of the redeemed are perpetually fixed. And thousands of pilgrims through this world of tears have no object, no higher object for their faith and no better desire for their vision than to see Christ as he is in heaven and in communion to behold his person. Beloved, We shall have many with us whilst this morning we turn our face to the Mount of Calvary. We shall not be solitary spectators of the fearful tragedy of our Savior's death. We shall but dart our eyes to that place which is the focus of heaven's joy and delight, the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, January 24th, 1858. So today we're going to focus on the death of Christ, we're going to look at the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, and I pray this will be for our good and for the glory of Almighty God. First of all, we want to talk about the origin of Christ's death, the origin of Christ's death, and here in verse 8, we see these words, but God. And this is a reminder to us that the gospel begins with God. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ originates with God. Paul says here in verse eight, these words, but God, and this is a fascinating study to go through all the times in scripture where you see these two words together, but God. 41 times in the Bible. We're not gonna read them all, but let me give you just a few examples. Genesis 50, 50 verse 20, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Psalm 73 verse 26, Asaph says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In Ephesians 2, we see the bad news followed by the good news. And Paul does that here in Romans chapter five. In verse seven, we see the bad news where he says, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But in verse 8, we see the good news. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Christ begins with God. The gospel begins with God. And we see that salvation and redemption was initiated by him and not by us. How many of you are glad this morning that God took the initiative to come to us, to free us from our sin and to allow us to experience true independence. If God had waited for us to come to him, we would have never come to him for salvation, amen? We, he would still be waiting today. Would someone please come to me? John 6, Jesus says there, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. We were unwilling to come to him. We despised his holiness, and we were unable to come to him because we were helpless. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. The gospel began in the heart of God the Father when our hearts were turned away from him. And John has much to say about this in his first epistle. Last week on Father's Day, I read 1 John chapter 4, but let me read a few verses from there again. Verse 7 John says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Verse eight, the one who does not love does not know God for God is love. And then first verse 10 of chapter four, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Salvation was initiated by God himself. And it was his plan from the very beginning to send his one and only son to come to earth and live a perfect life and to die a sacrificial death in our place. Spurgeon again. I have a book in my library. It's, it's packed right now, but it's a, it's a book, 2200 quotations from Charles Spurgeon. And I've only got two more sermons here, so I'm going to use every one that I can. He says he who reads Christ's life as a mere history traces the death of Christ to the enmity of the Jews and to the fickle character of the Roman governor. In this he acteth justly for the crime and sin of the saviour's death must lay at the door of manhood. This race of ours became a deicide and slew the Lord and nailed its saviour to a tree. But he who reads the Bible with the eye of faith Desiring to discover its hidden secrets, sees something more in the Savior's death than Roman cruelty or Jewish malice. He sees the solemn decree of God fulfilled by men who were the ignorant but guilty instruments of its accomplishment. He looks beyond the Roman spear and nail, beyond the Jewish taunt and jeer, up to the sacred fount whence all things flow, and traces the crucifixion of Christ to the breast of deity. He believes with Peter, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. We dare not impute to God the sin, but at the same time, the fact, with all its marvelous effects in the world's redemption, we must ever trace to the sacred fountain of divine love. Pastor Plumley read from Isaiah 53 this morning. I didn't know he was going to pick that passage, but in verse 10, Isaiah says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Have you ever thought about the enormity of that statement, that it pleased the Lord to crush his son? I remember over 10 years ago, former NFL quarterback Randall Cunningham, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles, Brian Wilson's nodding his head. It's the most he'll get out of this sermon, probably. Also played for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sure you're not happy about that. But sadly, 10 years ago, he lost his two-year-old son, Christian, who drowned in a hot tub at their Las Vegas home. And I thought about that, and I'm pretty sure that Randall was not pleased about that event, that his son drowned. I'm sure he grieved. I'm sure he endured great pain and suffering. Yet it pleased the Lord to crush his one and only son for us. Isaiah overlooks both Herod and Pilate and traces the death of Christ to the Heavenly Father, the first person in the divine trinity. The gospel begins with God. The death of Christ originates with God 1 Peter three eighteen. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. God wanted you and I to be a part of his family. God wanted to forgive you and me of our sins. God wanted to give us everlasting life. And he took the initiative to make that happen. He sent his one and only son to die a cruel death so that he might bring us to God. The gospel begins with God and it begins with God and his glory and not with man and his need. The fact that God is holy, that he alone is righteous and just, that he is too pure to even look upon evil, that he is eternal, that he has always been and that he will always be, that he is all powerful, that he is all knowing, that he has declared the end from the beginning. And that there is no one or nothing like him. That he alone is to be worshiped. That he is in need of nothing. That he is perfect. And that he alone is good. Secondly, let's talk about the nature of Christ's death. Verse 8 But God demonstrates his own love. Here we see the death of Christ is a demonstration of the love of God the Father, and any presentation as we think about sharing the gospel with others, any presentation of the gospel should include an explanation of the love of God. John 3.16, we know that verse, the most famous words of Jesus where he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I've already quoted some verses from 1 John where we see that God is love and we read there that this is love that God sent his only son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. You cannot share the gospel with someone without highlighting the greatest act of love ever demonstrated to mortal man. Without it, there is no good news and that is the gospel. And my caution, I've said this before to all of you, is this. Don't begin with the love of God. Don't share the love of God at the exclusion of all his other attributes. Psalm 5, 4 to 6 says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Psalm 711, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. Sinners need to know they are sinners. That they are separated from God and that God is angry over their sin. That God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin nor sinners. There are many today who do not want to talk about the holiness of God. They don't want to talk about his justice. We have pastors and pulpits all over America who have chosen to only speak about his love and his mercy and his grace. They exclude passages about his judgment and his wrath, even teaching that the the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament is a God of love. And that a loving God would never send those he loves to a place called hell. And if he were to do so, it certainly wouldn't be for an eternity. It would only be until they were consumed by the flame. By doing this, these these men have failed to preach the whole counsel of God. And not only that, they have constructed a God in their own image. And they have presented to thousands of people a God that does not exist. I love that God is a God of love, don't you? But I also love that God is a God of justice and a God of wrath because it reminds me of what he has saved me from. God has saved me from hell. Remember, R.C. Sproul wrote a book called Saved From What? Because people are always talking about being saved. And, and in that book, he writes, we are saved from God. We are saved from his wrath and his anger. And his justice. I love thinking about God's justice because, again, it reminds me that he has saved me from an eternity in hell, and it causes me to be urgent in sharing the gospel with those around me who do not know him. But we are talking about the nature of Christ's death here. It is a demonstration of the love of God, and so I want to talk about that demonstration. How did God demonstrate his love to us? If God is a God of love, if God is love, as John says, how does he demonstrate that? Well, he does so by sending his one and only son to leave the glory of heaven, to leave the perfect unhindered fellowship that he had with the Father and the Spirit, to come to earth, to be born of a virgin in the humblest of births, to grow as a child, to live an absolutely perfect life without sin, to be betrayed by one of his own disciples, to be mocked and scorned, to be crucified on a cross and to die instead of us. Look at verse six. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God demonstrated his great love by sending his son to die for us, to die in our place, to die in our stead. There's no greater way for him to demonstrate his love for us than this. In fact, Jesus would say in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. The greatest act of love ever demonstrated for mankind and a presentation of the good news without this great news is no good news at all, because that is the gospel. Listen to what Paul said to the believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Friends, this grand fact cannot be overlooked. It cannot be left out. It cannot be glossed over. It cannot be rushed through. This is the demonstration of a loving God. And so we see here that, The gospel originates with God and the gospel is a demonstration of his love for us. Thirdly, let's talk about the timing of Christ's death. The timing of Christ's death. Back in verse six, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In verses six and seven and eight, each of these three verses tell us when Christ died. Verse six, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. Here we see that Christ died for us when we were unrighteous. Christ died when we were not good, when we were evil. And then verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died died for us. He died for us when we were sinners. He died when we were helpless, when we were ungodly, when we were unrighteous, when we were evil, when we were sinners. Christ did not die for us when we had it all together. Not when we had cleaned up our lives from our sin and not when we were holy and righteous and pure. He died for us when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. I love what Paul says in verse 10 here, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were helpless, we were hopeless, we were unrighteous, we were ungodly, we were sinners and we were enemies of God. Friends, that is when Christ died for us. You know what is so amazing about this? I I really believe that I was saved when I was four years old. I believe that with all my heart because I was trusting in Christ for my salvation. That was over 45 years ago. And I can kind of understand that Christ would die for all the sins that I committed before I was saved. It's still amazing, but I can somewhat comprehend it. But what I cannot understand and what completely baffles me is this, that Christ knew all the sins that I would commit after salvation. My sins over the last 45 years. All the sins I committed just this last week, including the ones I committed this morning, getting ready for church. And he still went to the cross for me. Christ died for us when we were completely helpless. There's an old saying, it is completely unbiblical, so if you're using it, I would ask you not to, in love. But like many things, it has made its way into the church, and this is the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard this? It's not from Paul, it's not from God, it's from Ben Franklin. The truth is, God helped us when we could not help ourselves, amen? Christ died for us when we were completely hopeless, without hope and had no chance of saving ourselves. Christ died when we were his enemies, when we were at odds with God, when we were at enmity with him, when we were children of the devil, and when we belonged to the kingdom of darkness. That is when Christ died for us, when we were unrighteous and unholy, when we were sinners. The gospel is that Christ did something for us that we could have never done for ourselves. Fourthly, let's talk about the recipients of Christ's death. In verse 8, Paul simply says here, Christ died for us. He died for us. He died for you. He died for me. He died for us. And if you are a believer in Christ today and there is evidence and fruit that proves that you belong to him, if it is obvious that you have the son and He that has the Son has life. You are a new creation, and the old is gone and the new has come. You have been crucified with Him. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. If that is true of you, there is one thing that is certain. Christ died for you. There's a debate in theological circles over the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's always a, a great topic to discuss in seminary and in Bible college. And the question is, the debate is, for whom did Jesus die? Did he die for every single person who has ever lived? Or did he only die for the elect? Was his his atonement unlimited? Was it available to all? Or was his atonement definite, applying only to those whom God chose before the foundation of the world? It's really a great question. It's a question that has been debated for decades, and it will continue for centuries. There are godly men on both sides. I used to teach a class at my church called Theology for Breakfast. The guys were always bitter at me because we didn't have breakfast. Uh, That was the breakfast, theology. But I remember debating this as we talked about Christology and the death of Christ, and it was a great discussion, a healthy debate, even though we had guys on different sides. But let me give you some encouragement on this. It's not a question in the mind of God. God knows exactly for whom his son died. And we can take comfort in that. And if you are in Christ, if you have trusted him through faith and faith alone, if your sins have been forgiven, if you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, if your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, you know that Christ has died for you. And you can include yourself in Paul's us here in verse eight. It's absolutely incredible to think about that Christ would give his life for us. It's almost too magnificent to think about. It's it's like David in Psalm 139 when he says, such knowledge is too wonderful to me. I cannot attain to it. It is too high. Or it's like Paul in Romans 11, after saying some really difficult things and chapters 9 10 and 11 where he says oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways it is so wonderful it is unfathomable that christ would give his life for us that jesus would die in our place that the son of god would die instead of you and instead of me It's incredible and wonderful because we know ourselves, don't we? We know how evil and how sinful we are. We know that it is us who should have been crucified on a cross and not the perfect lamb of God. That is the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon had much to say about the substitutionary death of Jesus. He once said this, you notice that I am always preaching the doctrine of substitution. I cannot help it because it is the only truth that brought me comfort. I should have never come out of the dungeon of despair if it had not been for that one grand truth of substitution. That is a great quote in itself, but here's the one I wanted to share with you. He says, in one word, the great fact on which the Christian's hope rests is substitution. The vicarious sacrifice of Christ for the sinner, Christ's suffering for the sinner, Christ's being made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ offering up a true and proper substitutionary sacrifice in the place of as many as the Father gave him, who are recognized by their trusting in him. This is the cardinal fact of the gospel. And finally, let's talk about the purpose of Christ's death. The purpose of Christ's death. Why did Christ die for our sins? Well, we all know the answer to this. We know the textbook answer. We know the scriptural answer. I gave you that answer earlier from 1 Peter 3.18, where Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous many. And here it is. Here's the clause that he might bring us to God. But the question is, why would God do this? Why would God, who was perfectly holy and righteous, in need of absolutely nothing, who had existed for eternity without us, why did he initiate the salvation process and call us to himself? Why did he send his one and only son down from heaven to die on a cross for us, to die for vile sinners who had trespassed his law? Get your notebooks out, okay? I'm going to share something really profound. You're going to want to write this down. Here's the answer. I don't know. (laughs) That should be our answer. Amen? We don't know. That is the mystery of the gospel. Why would God do something that he was not obligated to do? I had a counseling session several years ago when I was pastoring in Indiana in my office with a, a young lady and she came and wanted to talk to me, and her life was a mess. Her marriage was in serious trouble. She had recently lost her job. She had made some very bad choices, and that had consequences. And she came to me because she wanted me to help her to fix herself. That's what she said. And I told her I couldn't fix her, but I know I knew someone who could, and I, I told her that her real problem was her sin. And I took about 15 minutes in my office to explain the gospel to her. And I don't know that she had ever had the gospel explained to her before, even though she had been to church many times. And when I was done, I I asked her this question. I said, what do you think of all of that? Everything I just shared with you. And that is when she said with a quiet voice and with a humble heart, I cannot believe that someone would die for my sins. Beloved, that is how we should all respond to the gospel. We should not be able to understand why Christ died for us. We should not be able to comprehend why Christ would give his life for us on a cross. It should be a mystery. The only way that I can explain why Christ would die for our sins is this, because it pleased God for him to do so. That is really the only explanation we can entertain. God did not come to us because he was lonely. I've heard that one more than once. Jesus did not die for us because we were worthy. That idea has sold thousands of books. God did not respond in love toward us because we first loved him. That would be a complete contradiction of the scriptures. No, he stooped down to us. He sent his son to earth. And he saved us from our sins simply because it pleased him to do so. God was motivated only by the kindness that filled his heart. Could you go to Ephesians chapter 1 with me? Go to your right a few books. Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to just read verses 3 through 9, even though in the Greek, verses 3 through 14 is one sentence. It's a serious run-on, but it's a sanctified run-on sentence inspired by the Holy Spirit. But in verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace." which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Friends, the death of Christ originated with God himself. The death of Christ is a demonstration of the love of God. The death of Christ took place when we were helpless, evil sinners and the enemies of God. The death of Christ atones for all who place faith in him for their salvation. And the death of Christ occurred because it pleased the Father to send him and to crush him. Well, how do you become a recipient of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you become a beneficiary of the death of Jesus? Well, it's simply by faith in Christ alone. Faith and faith alone. Faith plus nothing. Faith in his person and in his finished work on the cross for your sins and for your salvation. Mark Dever, who's the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in our nation's capital, wrote an article entitled Nothing But the Blood. It appeared in Christianity Today in May of 2006, and that was the best thing written in that magazine for a long, long time. But he writes this Historically understood, Christ's atonement gives hope to Christians in their sin and in their suffering. If we have any assurance of salvation, it is because of Christ's atonement. If any joy, it flows from Christ's work on the cross. The atonement protects us from our native tendency to replace religion with morality and God's grace with legalism. Apart from Christ's atoning work, we would be forever guilty ashamed, and condemned before God. Let me close with this poem from a man named Edward Shalito, a poem that's entitled Jesus of the Scars. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us, they are too calm. In all the universe, we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars, we claim thy grace. If when doors are shut, thou drawest near. Only reveal those hands, that side of thine. We know today what wounds are, have no fear. Show us thy scars. We know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Let's pray. Lord, we are here today. We come weekly, Lord, because of the death of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is our joy. Lord, we are banking on the atonement of Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and for everlasting life with you in glory. Lord, we are so thankful for the gospel today. We are so thankful for the reminder of Christ's atoning work in our place. Lord, we are humbled, we are overwhelmed, we are dumbfounded when we think that Christ died for us when we were helpless and hopeless, when we were dead in our sins, when we were your enemies, that's when Christ died for us. Lord, forgive us and cause us to not trust in anything that we have ever done or what we are doing now for our salvation. May we trust in Christ and Christ alone. May we trust in his finished work on the cross. As he even said, it is finished, paid in full. May our sight be to Christ. May our eyes always be fixed and focused on him. Lord, that is why we come and and celebrate and have joy in our hearts Despite the trials, despite the uncertainty of the future in this world, we have joy because you endured the cross with joy. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that is outside of a relationship with Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, may they know that they are not guaranteed tomorrow, that life is a vapor, it is here today, it is... Gone tomorrow, Lord, as we saw the collapse of that building in Florida, Lord, life can be taken so quickly. And may anyone who is here apart from you know that today is the day of salvation. And God, I pray you would be gracious to them that you would grant them repentance from their sin and faith to believe in your son, that they too might have the forgiveness of their sin and have everlasting life. Lord for us who know you may your gospel be in our hearts and may it be on our lips may we always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have within us and we do so with your help and by your grace we pray these things in Jesus name amen